work. With his sermon finished and the clock approaching 12.30 p.m., he was hungry and ready to eat. He left his desk, slipped into his winter coat, and started down a short hallway toward the front door. On his left was the church's large spare sanctuary, and facing him at the hall's end was a dining area where the congregation had coffee and cookies between the two Sunday morning services. Everyone at Christ Lutheran knew everyone else, knew their children, jobs, extended families, and religious habits. They enjoyed gathering in the dining room to have a cup and trade local gossip or talk about church business. Right above this area on the second floor were the new Bible study classrooms completed last fall. The church's top lay official, Dennis Rader, had pushed hard for the construction of these rooms and overseen much of the building during the second half of 2004. Eight weeks ago, on January 1st, 2005, he'd been elected president by the congregation and now chaired the monthly council meetings and set the agenda for the upcoming year. Pastor Clark referred to him as Christ Lutheran's spiritual leader, and Rader was at the church about as much as the minister was, tireless in his dedication to details, washing the windows, painting the stripes on the asphalt parking lot, and cleaning up after events. Pastor Clark had become so used to having Rader nearby that on Sunday mornings he didn't look around before calling over his shoulder, Dennis, could you please light the candles on the altar? Or, Dennis, have you checked the sound system? Or, Dennis, are the programs ready to be handed out? Rader and his wife Paula, who sang in the church choir, were the backbone of the congregation. After thirty years of service at Christ Lutheran and decades of building goodwill, loyalty, and trust, Dennis was the natural choice for president. Buttoning up his coat, Pastor Clark glanced through the two sets of glass doors that led out to the parking lot. He saw a man in a black leather coat with three other men lined up behind him. The pastor thought they were salesmen, which struck him as odd and annoying. Why would four men come to a church to try to make a sale? They didn't have an appointment, and he didn't have any time for them. He didn't care what they were peddling. He was getting hungrier by the moment. All he wanted to do was jump into his red and white pickup, the one with the Rufus license plate, and go eat. He'd be polite with these guys, the way he was with everyone, but get rid of them fast. As he charged through the first set of doors, the man in the dark leather coat opened it slightly and revealed a shiny police badge. The minister stopped cold. Uh-oh, he muttered to himself. This can't be good. The three other men now revealed their badges in what could only be called a show of force. Pastor Clark approached them, unlocking the second set of doors. The lead officer stepped inside and introduced himself as Lieutenant T.K. Bridges with the Wichita Police Department. The trio of backup followed him in, also identifying themselves as officers, and although the minister looked for humor in almost every situation and had thought of making a joke about their presence in his church, he could tell they were in a serious mood and held his tongue. At the same time, 
he couldn't help wondering how long this was going to take and when he might get lunch. Lieutenant Bridges pulled out two pages of typewritten material and showed them to the preacher. I have a search warrant for your church, Bridges said. What's going on? the minister asked, trying to maintain calm. What's this about? Can we talk in private? Sure, the pastor said, turning and leading them down the hall toward his office, only ten or fifteen yards away. You cannot believe, he would say later, how many bad things can go through your mind in the time it takes to walk that far. Nothing that passed through his mind during the next thirty seconds was anywhere near what Lieutenant Bridges had to say. The officer didn't wait to be asked to sit down, but lowered himself into Pastor Clark's chair, which he'd just been sitting in to write the sermon. Covered with golden cloth, it had a soft cushion and an afghan draped over one corner. Pastor Clark took the visitor's chair. Glancing at the stuffed frogs, the plastic armadillo, and the clown props scattered throughout the office, Lieutenant Bridges explained that the church was now part of a criminal investigation, and then slowly read the search warrant line by line, adding that the other officers were preparing to search the premises this afternoon. While they did, the pastor would not be allowed to go anywhere by himself, including the restroom. The minister didn't argue with any of this, but again asked what they were doing in his church. Speaking clearly and evenly, Lieutenant Bridges said that Dennis Rader had just been arrested fifteen minutes earlier as a suspect in the BTK serial murder case. The pastor grasped for something to say. Then he asked him what he meant, and the officer repeated what he'd just said. Then the minister asked him again, unable to fathom what he was being told. He'd only lived in Wichita for a little more than four years, and was not very familiar with this BTK case. But everyone had been talking about it lately, and the local media would not leave it alone. It was impossible to have been in the city since last March, and not have picked up some information about the gruesome string of murders back in the 1970s. The minister wasn't drawn to these kinds of stories, and all he really knew was that something horrific had happened in Wichita, and no one had ever been arrested for it. Trying again to comprehend, Pastor Clark posed another question. Had the president of his congregation really been taken into custody in connection with the BTK case, or was there a mistake? No mistake, the officer said. The head of this church had just been arrested for the murder of at least eight people. Dennis Rader, the pastor said, has been arrested for the BTK serial killings? Yes. Are you saying that Dennis Rader used this church as part of his crimes? That's what we're looking into. Well, how did he do that? The lieutenant couldn't answer that question and returned his focus to the search warrant, sending the other men off to look for various items in the church. Lieutenant Bridges informed Pastor Clark that Rader had already requested the minister come to see him at once, but when the preacher asked if he could do that this afternoon, Bridges wasn't sure.
As the officers dispersed through the church, leaving one in Pastor Clark's office to watch him, he grabbed the phone and began making calls. He reached his wife, Jan, then a church official, and then the Central States Lutheran Synod in Chicago with its special department for handling crises, explaining that one had just erupted. His congregation was about to face not just an overwhelming shock, but the scrutiny of local, national, and international media. The pastor's phone had already begun ringing with requests for interviews, and TV trucks were heading toward Park City. The Synod put him in touch with its crisis consultant, Bishop Gerald Manschult, who was on his way to Wichita to steer them through the coming ordeal. The church was planning a counseling session for worshippers the next afternoon so people could talk openly about Raider's arrest, the first of several where the congregation would gather and pray and vent. An hour or so later, Pastor Clark was finally able to leave and get something to eat. He then drove into downtown Wichita and turned onto Main Street, with its row of buildings, including the Epic Center, housing the FBI, City Hall, holding the Wichita Police Department, the 18th Judicial District Courthouse, home to the District Attorney's Office, and the Sedgwick County Detention Facility, where inmates were confined during their legal proceedings. Arriving at City Hall, Pastor Clark was told that he couldn't speak to Raider this afternoon because the man was under interrogation and because the minister didn't have with him the papers showing he'd been ordained. He could, after all, have been an impostor. He drove back to the church and continued trying to manage the chaos unleashed by the arrest.